uttered out of our mouths. It says this, holy words of our faith handed down to this age. Yes, this is an ancient book. Its words are ancient, but they've been handed down to this age and every age since they have been written. So as the song says, let these words impart what God would have us to know and learn and to put into practice in our lives. Ancient words changing me and changing you. Um, We can't bring about the changes in our lives that are necessary, but God's word can bring about those changes. And I know that we've been talking about some difficult things over the last couple of weeks, things that we may or may not agree with, things that we may or may not want to put into practice in our everyday lives. Hence, you'll see the title of our message this morning, You Want Me to Do What? Really? You can't be serious. All of those kinds of things flash through our minds as we read these things from the pages of Scripture that we may or may not want to do in our lives. So you could be right alongside the readers of the original letter from Peter to these persecuted believers. Peter, you want me to do what? How how could you ask me to do that? Why would you ask me to do that? So as we continue our study in 1 Peter, we continue with Peter and the Holy Spirit's inspired theme of, you guessed it, submission. We're going to talk more about submission this morning. I know some of you are probably tired of this ongoing theme. Believe me, I'll be happy when we get through this section of 1 Peter because it's been convicting to me as well. And you know what? We have to let the Word of God do what only the Word of God can do in our lives. Sometimes that's uncomfortable. Sometimes it flies right in the face of what our history and our tradition and our human nature tells us to do. But why do you think the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God? Because if it was a man-written document, we would only talk about the things that we want to hear about. And our Bible would be much skinnier than it is as it's been handed down to us over time. These ancient words that can change our lives for the good, for the better, for in fact the best that God has for us. I know this idea of submission, it goes against the grain of our human nature. And why is that? Because our nature has been impacted and and in fact subverted by the perversion of the devil. The devil would love us to be contradictory, to be contrary to these themes that Peter has put forth in the pages of Scripture. Um, But we have to to remember that, that God wants us to be obedient to these themes that we find in the pages of Scripture. Peter started out by challenging us with our government rulers. He told us to submit to the governing authorities because these authorities are the sovereign rulers that he has placed over us. I was questioned, where would we be if our founding fathers had that mindset? There'd be no America. Well, we have to remember God is sovereign. Obviously, God planned for there to be an America. And God would have brought an America into existence based on the same founding truths had our founding fathers acted differently. God is in control. We can't change that. And we don't want to change that. God is in control. So we have to ask this question. Is God sovereign? 
When he says, submit to the authorities that be, when he says, submit to your boss, and this morning when he says, wives, submit to your husband, (gasps) you're not going there, are you, pastor? Well, believe me, if I didn't have to, I wouldn't. But God has commanded us to preach the entire counsel of the Word of God. Like it or not, popular or not, it has to be preached. So yes, we are going there this morning. Okay? So, and you might want to tighten your seatbelts because it's going to be a quick ride because our, we're already 20, uh, 10 past the hour. So, um, but here's the thing. Um, you know, God is sovereign. Whether you think he is or not, he is. Do you, whether Putin thinks God is sovereign, God is sovereign. Okay, God is in control. He's never abdicated the throne. Understand that, know that, and let's live in light of that. Our God, the supreme creator of the world, the one who has planned for our salvation, is sovereign. Nothing can change that. Okay, And, and so... Here we are, um, we, we want to be obedient to the plan of God. We want to be obedient to the pages of Scripture. So someone has asked, so are we, do we always obey? Do we always lay down and, and just not be what God, you know, not just take a stand? No. Where do we take a stand? We take a stand on the things of the Word of God. When God says, do this, and the government or somebody else, the boss or the husband says, don't do this, then we do what God says. We take a page from the Apostle Peter who wrote this book and was told as the church started, stop preaching the name of Jesus Christ. He was told that by the religious leaders. We read that in the book of Acts. Peter's response, we ought to obey God rather than men. That is always our final recourse. That's where we draw the line in the sand, if you will. We ought to obey God rather than man. Peter moved from governmental authority to authorities in the workplace. He told us that we need to submit to those in charge, whether they treated us well or treated us harshly. Again, this is not always easy, but when God tells us to do it, he expects us to live in obedience to his commands. The same truth holds, the same thing holds true in relationships. If our boss or our master instructs us to do something unethical or or sinful, we take a stand for what is good and what is right, and we obey God, regardless of the consequences. Understand that there may be consequences. Peter spent several days and episodes in jail because he refused to submit to the authorities when they told him to disobey God's word. We can't expect there not to be consequences if we disobey man's orders, but we can expect God to be with us every step of the way. So obedience is the call. Obedience to God, first and foremost, is what you and I need to be striving for in our lives. This morning, we'll see Peter continues his call for submission. This call is even more personal than the first two of government and work. As he moves into the realm of the home, You may think, as we get started this morning, that Peter has crossed the line. And now, Peter, you're meddling. You got your nose stuck where it does not belong. Peter, you can't tell me how to run my home. Well, understand again this, that Peter is not telling them how to run their home. These are the words of the inspired text. This is what the Holy Spirit commanded Peter to write. And so it's not Peter saying, don't, you know, do this and don't do this. It's the Holy Spirit through the pen of the apostle. 
These are not the words of a man or even of an apostle, but they are the words of our God and his expectations for those of us that are his children. So in light of our message last week, that's not fair. Let me remind you how Mark concluded our service last week. He said, thank you, God, for not being fair. Thank you, God, for not being fair. Because if we got what was fair, we would be separated eternally in a place called hell from our great God. But in his grace and his mercy and his love for us, he made provision for us to be reconciled to himself. And let me remind you of this as well. God knows what is best for us. In fact, he knows what is best for all of mankind. And throughout all of history, he knows what is best. And I submit to you that he always does what is best. If he calls us to submit, he knows that submission in that area of life is what is best for his children. So, let's figure out where Peter is going this morning. Please stand with me as we read together verses 1 through 7 of 1 Peter chapter 3. You follow along, or you can, let's read together. Let's read it all together from the screen, if you will. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your abandonment merely be outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, and not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and again we are treading on um, controversial topics this morning, but they are topics that we find in the pages of Scripture. So, Father, as we strive to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God and to preach it uh, correctly, to preach it properly uh, interpreted and put forth in a way that is applicable to our everyday lives, we ask, Lord, that you would use your Spirit, who the same Spirit who inspired these words from the Apostle Paul, to inspire us to do what is right before you, to change if necessary, to make corrections where they need to be made, and to live a life that honors and glorifies you. May we allow the ancient words to definitely make an impact in our lives today. Uh, we submit our time into your hands. Ask for your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, please understand that there is not a typo on your note page, okay? It says number two, Roman numeral number two. You might be saying, well, where's number one? Well, we did it last week, okay? And there is no number three because we'll do that next week. So just a little, uh, maybe you want to take a cinch of that seatbelt a little tighter. We're going to continue in the idea of submission next week, okay? Um, so this morning, number two is the requirements in the home. 
What does Peter expect from the children of God who live and make up the Christian home? Now, as I was preparing the sermon, I went back and I reread what I said last Sunday. And you know what? It bears repeating this morning. So let me read part of my notes to you this morning that I read last week. Peter is keeping the same theme as he moves to a different setting. Last week it was the workplace. The week before it was government. Today it's the home. Last week we introduced the concept of an evangelistic lifestyle or the idea of living a life so that others will see the difference in how we live and be compelled to become a follower of Jesus because of how we live. This is not something that Peter is putting forth to us just to make life difficult and miserable for us. Okay? Peter is putting this forth so that we would be effective in our evangelism to others. Because if these things are not in order in our lives, our evangelism is going to be impotent. It's not going to have any, uh, anything to draw power from because we're not obedient in these areas of what God has called us to do. Notice the word here in our text this morning, likewise. Uh, we, we see Peter is addressing the wives that are part of the church. What is the word likewise in reference to? Well, he's saying like employees are to submit to their bosses or servants to their masters in the direct uh, application for Peter's audience. And like citizens are to submit to the governing authorities, democratically elected or evil dictators. Wives are to submit to their husbands. And let me add here, Peter says to your own husbands. Okay? This is not a blanket call for wives to be treated poorly by other people all over the world or in whatever situation you find yourselves in. Peter is very specific here. He says, let the wife submit to her own husband. Not to somebody else's husband, uh, simply to your own husband. This command relates to the family relationship which is the oldest institution in the history of mankind. What did God say to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1? The man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God instituted the family, the family, husband and wife, male and female. He instituted that. Humanity, society has tried to change that down through the ages. It is still God's institution for today, the family. And Peter is telling us how to have life in the home the way it ought to be. You've heard the saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, mama needs to be happy with what God's word says. Okay? Mama needs to fall in line with what God's word says, and so does papa. All right? So let's try and see if we can figure out what that organizational chart looks like through the pages of Scripture this morning. Peter starts off by giving us the result of submission. This word submission is the same word we saw back in chapter 2, verses 18 and verse 13. Remember, it's a military term that means to put yourself under the command of another. One who is responsible for your outcomes. Can I ask you a question? If you are in the military and you refuse to submit to your officer in charge of you, what happens to you? Court martial? What's the very first step probably that's going to happen to you? The brig. You're going to get thrown in the brig. 
Okay, so there are consequences for not choosing. So it's made in the military setup that you will want to submit. God wants us to submit to the orders that he has put in place here in the pages of Scripture. Peter is calling for, in our text this morning, that each wife submit to or be subject to voluntarily place yourself under the authority of your own husband. This is the third group within society that is called to submit. Can I remind you how MacArthur presented these calls to submission? He called them our evangelistic lifestyle. When we submit to the will of God, to the governing authorities, our bosses, and when wives submit to their own husbands, it opens the door, listen to this, it opens the door for people to come to know the Lord as their personal Savior. You want people to get saved? You have to be willing to submit in the areas that God has called you and I as his children to submit. Remember the old commercial, what would you do for a Klondike bar? Remember that commercial? What would you do for a Klondike bar? The commercials had all kinds of crazy things that people would do for a Klondike bar. Can I ask you this morning, what would you do for someone to come to know Jesus as their Savior? What would you do? Would you submit in these areas that Paul or Peter has commanded his children to submit? Because if you're not willing to submit, you're probably not going to see others Follow your testimony, follow your witness, follow your encouragement to trust Christ as their Savior. Because the world is looking at us. As soon as we start to speak about Christ, the world begins to look at us differently. They want to make sure that we're doing what we're saying, that we're practicing what we're preaching, that we're not being hypocritical as we present the gospel. So it's imperative for you and I to do what God has called and to live this lifestyle that he has called us to do. Would you be willing to put yourself under the authority of another for somebody else to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Possibly to be the tool that the Lord uses to encourage another individual to confess their sins, repent of their sins, and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Again, let me remind you of the words of our Savior that were found in Philippians, words about our Savior found in Philippians chapter 2. Paul wrote these things. He said, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You think he's got, you think he's got something going here? What's he saying? Be of the same mind. Be unified in mind with who? Well, with Jesus Christ. Doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but... In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What is the best interest of others in all cases? Absolutely. For them to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we must submit to the things that God has asked us to submit to. Do you think it was easy for Jesus to submit to the Roman authorities when they were going to hang him on a tree? Mm -mm. Yet he did for us, for the reconciliation of lost man. So Peter's asking us to do the same thing. For others to be reconciled to God, please submit to these things that God has asked us to submit to. 
Paul wanted the believers in Philippi to know that they, would, that they should follow the example of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the master. Jesus, in, in connection with his father, rule the world, rule the universe, rule history, rule everything. And Jesus stepped out of heaven into this world, into his creation, and submitted himself. In verses 11 and 12 of Acts chapter 4, it says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you builders and has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The same Jesus that brings salvation to lost man brought into our full attention the need to submit. Oh, there can't be any better example than that, than Jesus willing to submit. Peter's writing to a group of people that made up a large part of the early church Women who came to know Jesus as their Savior, but whose husbands did not. (laughs) Some things don't change over history, do they? Many churches are made up of many women who have trusted Christ as their Savior, and they're praying fervently and earnestly for their husbands to follow suit. If you're here this morning, and your husband, and you're a saved lady, and your husband is sitting next to you, or would normally sit next to you, Mary Jo, um, praise God for that. It's not all that common. And so you have a great blessing sitting next to you today, a man who knows Jesus as their Savior. We have, we have women who have asked us, in every church I've ever been in, many times the women who come faithfully and are part of the church ask for their husband's salvation. We have people in our church that have been asking us for decades. Now, I know that I haven't been here for a, de- for a decade, but we're getting close, okay? Um, that people have been praying for decades for their husbands to come to know Jesus as their Savior. Can I give you an example? How many years, maybe, uh, maybe there's some people still here, how many years did we pray, and I say that because 30 years ago we started praying, probably before then, for Lynn Webb's salvation, You prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed. And I even got a letter in South Africa telling us that Lynn finally trusted Christ as his Savior. Hallelujah! Yeah. So, here it is. You want your husband to come to know Jesus as your Savior? You want somebody else to come to know Jesus as your Savior? Live the life. The Scripture calls us to live. It doesn't get any more simple than that. And Peter says, it's not going to be easy, but you must do it. In Peter's day, women were not respected. In fact, they were actually seen as little more than slaves that we talked about last week. Husbands held life and death authority over their wives. That's how serious the the relationship was in those days. So when a woman put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ, changed the religious atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere in their home, they were taking their lives in their own hands. Their husbands, just because they didn't like the fact that they got saved, could have had them put to death. Could have divorced them. Would have changed their lives drastically. Yet Peter says, here's what you must do. 
Here's how you need to live your life. When a wife became a follower of Jesus Christ, this change could cause strife in her life. This change could cause mistreatment in her life. Peter wanted the believing wife to know how to live so that her husband may follow the wife and also become a Christ follower. There's no time limit on this either, by the way. That could take weeks, months, years, decades, and if God should tarry, it could take what comes after decades. Centuries? None of us will be, will be here for millenniums, but century is possible. All right? it's, not, it's not something that's going to be quick and overnight unless that's part of God's plan. Peter wants the believing wife to know how to do life so that your husband will have no excuse but to become a follower of Jesus. Again, MacArthur's comment helps clarify the wife's role in the home in this situation. He says, when such conversion did occur, a wife needed to know how to respond to her husband so that she might win him to the gospel. Her essential duty was to be submissive, as in the case of civil and workplace relationships. Okay, So he's just calling for a consistency in lifestyle. Not calling for anything different here when he moves to the talking about the home. He's talking for consistent living in obedience to the command of Christ. Like in those other calls for submission, it's not necessarily easy. But the end desire is that folks will be delivered from an eternal bondage to eternal life. Eternity in the presence of God in a place we're longing for, a place that's called heaven. Let me address here quickly the idea of a wife submitting to her husband. Uh, Some people somehow think that that makes women less important than a man, less smart than a man, and inferior to a man. Can I tell you that all of that is untrue? When a woman submits to her husband, she is no less smart than he is. She is not inferior to him. Submission does not imply any moral, intellectual, or spiritual inferiority in the family, in the workplace, or in the society in general. But but submission is God's design for the roles necessary to make for mankind's well-being. Can I tell you this, wives? It's better for you if you would submit to your husband. How do you know that, pastor? You're not a woman. Well, you're right. I'm not. I don't want to be. Okay? But my wife will tell me that when she submits, it's better for her. Other women have told me that. Why? Because it removes the stress and the pressures of life when they are living in the role that God has ordained. Roles. (laughs) Sometimes they're difficult to fill, aren't they? This order that God has designed is meant for the well-being in the home. The order requires that the wife place herself under the authority of the husband. Here's something to think about that might help ladies do that. Okay, Um, In the church, there's a headship order. Jesus is the head. You know, understand, believe, and live like I am not the head of this church. You understand that, right? I am the pastor, but I'm not the head of this church. The deacons, the trustees, they are not the head 
of this church. We don't rule this church with an iron rod. Shame on us if we try to. Jesus is the head. And I can tell you that what the church leadership team of Calvary Baptist tries to do is tries to submit to the headship of Jesus Christ and lead in the direction that he would have us go. Jesus is the head and is quite clearly communicated in Ephesians chapter 5 where we read this. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. The church is his body and, it, and he is their savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And it doesn't stop there. Can I tell you there's an order in something else even greater than the church? There's an order within the Godhead. What are you talking about, Pastor? Yeah, there's an order within the Godhead. Now, we fully believe in the triunity of God, which states that that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three co-equal persons that make up the Godhead. That's what Scripture teaches us. But even though there is co-equality, there is also voluntary submission within the Godhead. Here's something for you to consider. The three persons of the triune Godhead voluntarily submit to each other, respecting their roles. There's that word again. They perform the roles they perform in creation and salvation. So the Father sent the Son into the world, 1 John 4.10. These roles are never reversed in Scripture. The Son never sends the Father to do anything. The Father always sent the Son and sends the Son. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus and proceeds from the Father to testify of Christ. John 14, 26 and 15, 26. Never the other way around. And Jesus perfectly submitted His will to the Father's will. How many times did Jesus say, I came to do the will of my Father who is in heaven? Jesus always submits his will to the Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Biblically, all three persons of the triune Godhead have the same essence, the same nature, and the same glory. But each one has different roles or activities when it comes to how God relates to the world. For example, in salvation, our salvation is based on the Father's power and love, John 3.16 and 10.29 and the Son's death and resurrection. And it's the Spirit's regeneration and seal that makes that salvation a reality in the life of any individual. It all happens based on the order that God has set. The different tasks that we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit perform are the result of the eternal relationship that exists among the persons of the Trinity or the triune Godhead. So if there's submission in the Godhead and submission in the way God designed the church, how can it be a bad thing or a wrong thing for us to submit in the areas God has called us to submit? It's not. It's all, I said, I said earlier, it's never right to do wrong. Can I tell you this? It's never wrong to do right. When God calls us to do something, it's always the right thing. The thing is, Something gets in the way of our submission. And that's our human mindset. We see submission as a weakness. We see submission as something we're giving in. We can't give in. Can I tell you this? That's a deceptive lie of Satan. 
When we give in to that mindset, we've been deceived by Satan. You see, naturally we don't like the idea of submission. We bristle against it. And we make excuses not to do it. But when we do submit in God's ordained areas of our lives, we will see great things happen. And one of those things that we will see happen is an increased effectiveness in the gospel that we share with other people. People can get saved because we are submitting the way God ordained submission to be. That's the result of, salvation, of submission. People can come to know Jesus as their Savior. Well, let's move on. We've got to move down the road, if you will, the road of submission that may lead to salvation. What is the road to submission? Well, and again, remember Peter's talking to wives specifically, but don't turn us out, tune us out because this can apply to all of us as well. Pure living. Pure living. Peter phrases it this way. He says, wives, let your chaste conduct be accompanied by fear. And that chaste conduct that is accompanied by fear is something that God may use in the life of your husband to, number one, bring him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ or draw him into a deeper fellowship with him. I added that second part, by the way. Um, It's not in the text. Let's start with the obvious first, okay? As long as the unbelieving husband is willing to stay in the relationship, the believing spouse should also stay in the relationship. And they should stay there with the hope and the prayer that the unbeliever will come to know Jesus as their Savior. That's your prayer, If you have an unbelieving spouse, an unbelieving husband, you stay in that relationship. Now, in other places in Scripture, it says if he chooses to walk away, then he can walk away. But you should never do anything to drive him away. Stay in that relationship as long as you can. Then Peter calls calls a woman to a certain kind of lifestyle. And by the way, this lifestyle is not just for for wives, but is for all all Christians. He calls calls the wives to chaste conduct. And that means to be spotless and blameless. It's, of course, in the moral realm. The wife is not flirtatious, but there's more to it than that. A wife's pure lifestyle, a, a lifestyle that demonstrates her ongoing sanctification through Christ. As you are submitting to your husband and living that pure lifestyle, you know what that shows? That shows that you are growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It speaks to your sanctification. Deacons this last week met for hours, literally, to talk about how the sanctification role should be defined and put forth in our doctrinal statement. Bottom line is, you and I, with each passing day, should be coming more and more like Jesus Christ. Looking, growing, acting, thinking more and more like our Savior does. You see, as the wife becomes more like Jesus, it is more likely that her husband will become more interested in the things of Christ and submit his life to Christ and become a Jesus follower as well. Now, let's not leave out the word fear here. Let's not get moving too quickly. Again, this word is not the word that results in dread or anxiety. It is where we get the idea of respect and honor. When pure living and respect are coupled together, the wife is using the greatest possible tool to win her husband to Christ. And can I add, using that same tool to be an encouragement to the husband who is already saved and living in a way that would encourage him to continue serving God or get more involved in their service for God. 
So this pure lifestyle that is marked by fear or honor and respect is going to be good for the home, whether your husband is saved or whether he is unsaved. So let's move on from pure living to proper attire. Peter contrasts the common approach to life with the better way. You see, the common way is to dress up the outside and do all that you can to make it more attractive. Now, before I go too far here, let me say this. Peter is not in any way saying that the the woman should not take care of her body. He's not saying that it's wrong for a woman to want to dress up and look nice and look her best. He's not saying that at all. But what he is saying is that should not be your primary focus in life. Understand, Peter is saying that the arranging of the hair, the wearing of the gold, the putting on of fine apparel, he's not saying it's wrong, but he is saying it shouldn't be your main focus in your relationship with your husband. What should be your main focus? He says, rather, let your, I'm going to add a word here, let your main focus be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet appearance, or a quiet spirit. He says, it's not about the outward appearance. Remember what God told Samuel when Samuel was sent to replace King Saul? He sent Samuel to the house of Jesse, and he said this. Well, first of all, Jesse parades all of his boys before, King, or before Samuel, and the first one, Eliab, comes in, and, and Samuel is just kind of caught off guard by the striking handsomeness of Eliab. And he says, man, oh man, surely this is the king. Surely this is the one that God has chosen. I, I mean, I look at him, and I see he's tall, and he's well-built. He's, he, he, he could be in Hollywood, if there was a Hollywood back then. He could be on the cover, cover of magazines. He's the one. He's a, man, he's got it all together. Okay, where's the oil? Let's get on with this. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, he's not the one. And here's the exact words from God to Samuel. Do not look on his appearance, on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, not rejected him as a person, but rejected him as the king. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but, there's that lovely little word, But the Lord looks on the heart. Again, Peter's not saying that a lady should spend no time thinking about and preparing to look nice. In fact, over in 1 Timothy, Paul suggests that a woman who fears the Lord will spend some time getting ready and looking nice with the appropriate dress and other accessories when she comes to worship the Lord. Okay, so Peter's not contradicting what Paul has to say. But it's understandable and commendable that women want to look nice and take the time to do that. But Peter's saying it should not be their primary focus. But rather, their focus should be on the adorning of the heart. So we've got here, not on the outward appearance, but on the adorning of the heart. Rather, they should be striving to have a heart for the things of God. This is not something new, okay? This goes all the way back to Solomon's time. Solomon describes such a woman in Proverbs chapter 31 when he says, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. 
And then he went on to speak on the things that a godly woman is known for. Things like this. She loves Jesus with all her heart and wants to serve him. Things like she's a faithful bride. She's a loving mother. She takes care of herself. She serves others with love and kindness. She uses wisely what God has given her. She is hardworking and uses the abilities she has well. She is creative and embraces beauty and godliness. She is called blessed by her children. Solomon says, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Not only may this lead to her husband's salvation, but just as important the true and true for the wife is whose husband already knows Jesus, she is very precious in his sight and in God's sight. She is precious in the sight of God. Now we've gone through this very quickly, but obviously the clock is beating us to the next hour. But let me quickly talk about the responsibilities of the husband. Hey guys, if you think this was all about the women this morning, wake up. Pay attention now, because we're going to talk briefly about and, and Peter gave six verses to women and one verse to, to men. That, that, that doesn't mean anything, okay? We're both called to certain responsibilities before God. And Paul, Peter says this way. Um, he says, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Huh, that's interesting. Peter says that men, you need to be considerate of your wife. That's what he means when he says, dwell with them in understanding. Peter wants those husbands that are followers of Jesus to understand their wife and, and the important role that they have in the marriage relationship. Remember I said I had to preach the other message to myself before I could preach it to you? I got to preach this one to myself too before I preached it to you. There's always room for improvement for the husband and the way they treat their wife. Be considerate of your wife. And that word, word consider is not necessarily the traditional way we see of considerate, but understand them. Dwell with them in an understanding way. In other words, And here's something that I have to do better at. Listen to what your wife is telling you. Listen to what makes her tick. Get an understanding of where she is in life. Now, what makes my wife tick probably doesn't make your wife tick. So you can't come to me and say, Pastor, what makes my wife tick? I'm going to say, go talk to your wife. Listen to her. Let her tell you what it is that she needs in life. Not just what she wants in life, because sometimes I think I've got it down. I think I know what she wants. And when I give it to her, it's like, oh, okay, thanks. (laughs) That didn't go the way I expected it to go. That vacuum cleaner just didn't do it. The box of chocolates, it might have been a little closer, but it didn't do it either. The flowers, that's better but still not doing it. I remember I bought her a bike one time. I think it was after one of our very early fights when we got married. And why'd you buy me a bike? 
Well, because you said you wanted one. Yeah, but that doesn't help. Okay. Dwell with them in understanding. We need to take into account, we need to know and we need to act on their needs, whether they are emotional needs, physical needs, spiritual needs. We are to minister to those needs. We are to serve them in that way. In fact, Peter's saying that we need to do that because that is what God wants us to do. Not just because it's going to make mama happy, but it's what God wants us to do. So, preaching it to myself, find out what your wife needs and minister to those needs. And then he says we need to celebrate our wife. Celebrate them. He says, give honor to your wife. In other words, we should treasure the gift God has given us when he gave us our wife. The word actually means to see them as precious, to see them as that which has great value. We saw this word back in verse 19 of chapter 1 where it talked about how you and I were brought into a right relationship with God. Peter said, not with corruptible things such as silver or gold, but how? With the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb who was put to death. Wow. Slap me upside the head. We need to see our wives as a valuable, precious gem that God has given to us. Yeah, Peter spent six verses telling the wives to submit to their husbands, and he spends one verse that is very eye-opening, very challenging to us men. Nothing should va- we should value nothing in life as much as we value the wife that God has given us, except, of course, for the salvation that he gave to us. We should treasure our wives and treat them as though we treasure them. Now, let me quickly address, sorry about the time. Let me quickly address the idea of the weaker vessel here. First know this, that Peter did not call them a weaker vessel. Okay, read that over again in the text. Peter did not say that the women are a weaker vessel. He simply said, treat them as a weaker vessel. In other words, we should be grateful for them. We should place great value on them. Ken Weiss says it this way. He said, Christian husbands are to deem the help means which God has given them precious and are to treat them with great honor. Guys, I brought something that might help us understand this celebration of our wives. And I asked my beautiful wife to come and help me with this illustration this morning. You see, a vessel is not always, I mean, we have to understand the idea of vessels. Vessels serve a purpose, right? Okay, this is a African violet. It's doing pretty well, but if my wife wants it to continue on in health, she has to do something. Ladies, you probably know what she has to do. She has to Trans, well, water it, of course, but it's now beyond the point where it's, it's doing well in this pot. It needs a bigger pot. Now, when you buy a plant, it often comes in these flimsy plastic containers. What are you meant to do with these containers once you take the plant out of it? Throw it away. Okay? Does that mean that this vessel has no purpose, has no use? Absolutely not. If this plant wasn't in this vessel, (laughs) 
and not in the ground somewhere, it would die. So this vessel right now is serving a very valuable purpose. It's allowing this plant to continue to live. But we know that it can't stay there. And even if it did stay there, we wouldn't want to display it, right? We probably would do something different. So we're going to do something different. And my wife's going to do something different because she knows what she's doing. What is this before you do it? This is also a vessel. It's a big one. It's not just. It's a bigger one, but what? It's breakable. Okay, that's true. It's prettier. It looks nicer. It even has a little piece on the bottom that you can water and it catches the water. If I watered this right now, water would run all over the place. This has a purpose. And so we're going to do something with this vessel, this pretty treasurable vessel. We're going to use it to make this plant look even nicer. A little bit of water goes in first. Okay, water is important. The wife needs to have that which is important. She needs all of the normal things that every other human being needs. And so we're making a mess, and sometimes it's messy, but we'll clean it up. That's how we got vacuum cleaners, right? Even though they might not be the treasured gift. We have vacuum cleaners. Can I help? Okay, and, and you got to know, sometimes, sometimes it's better not to help. Don't get in the way. Listen, I bought the pot, okay? That's what I did. Now I'm going to let her do what needs to be done. I'm treasuring her. I'm celebrating her because she knows what needs to be done. I'm going to actually not let you come to our house for a while and make sure this plant lives after this illustration. <laughs> Okay, so doesn't it look much nicer? I mean, not get rid of the dirt. We'll get rid of that in a minute here. But doesn't it look nicer in that vessel than it does in this vessel? Now, we're probably going to throw this vessel away, although maybe not because we're very cheap at our house. Um, we, we might plant stuff for the, for the garden this summer in it, okay? But anyway, for our purposes, we could throw this away because it has really no more value. It's, it's served its purpose. It's lived out its life. It was useful for what it was intended for, and now this is so much better. It's so much uh, nicer to look at. It's going to be better for that plant to be in that vessel than it would be in that vessel. And that's really what Peter is saying here, that we need to cherish, we need to honor, we need to respect, we need to love the vessel that God has given to us. As husbands, we need to realize our wives are as important in God's view and that they have a particular role to play in our family. And we must work together to make that as effective as possible. And Peter calls them heirs together of the grace of life. How important is our wife? Just as important as we are because God sent his son for both of us, the man and the woman. And you know what? There's benefit for the husband in all of this as well. To treat your wife the way God wants you to treat her. What's the benefit? That our prayer life is more effective. That our prayers are not hindered. You see, men, if we don't treat our wife the way God intended for us to treat our wife, our prayer life is going to suffer. Let me ask you a question. How is your prayer life? 
is your prayer life effective right now? Maybe that, if it's not, maybe it's telling you, hey, you need to check some other things out. Maybe how you treat your wife. Maybe how you see and value your wife. Your prayer life can be so much more effective when you are honoring and respecting and celebrating and being considerate of your wife. Now, I know, it may seem like Peter is meddling or even nagging as he writes to his beloved. I recently told somebody that I know you probably think I'm nagging you. And, and that's not my intention. As a pastor, I, it's not my intention to nag you or to meddle. But my intention is to let you know that you are loved and that my encouragement and sometimes it seems meddling or nagging is to encourage you to do what is right before God. That's my responsibility as a pastor. If I see an area that could be maybe addressed in your life, I need to do that because that's what God has called me to do. And I understand this. As I prepared this message, I felt a little bit beaten up. And as I prepared before, I felt a little bit beaten up because God was saying, hey, there's areas in your life that you need to do better and you need to change because you're falling short. None of us are perfect. None of us do right all the time. We all have room to grow. That's why we need to transplant the plant so it has room to grow, so it can become a better plant. It'll suck more carbon dioxide out of the air and release more oxygen. It'll do what it's designed to do better if it has the room and the space that it needs. We will do better if we do what God has called us to do in these roles where he has called us to submit. So none of us are perfect. We all have room to grow and we all need to check our hearts and our attitudes before our great God. And we're gonna leave it there this morning with this truth embedded in our hearts and in our minds that we need to do what God calls us to do. If we're submitting in these various areas, we can hope and we can even expect that God will use us in amazing ways as we live for him. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we thank you so much for the words of Peter. We know that they're not really just Peter's words, but they are the words that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, the third part of the triune Godhead, to flow out of the pen of the Apostle Peter to instruct us on how to do life. Father, help each one of us to take into consideration what you have said in the pages of Scripture, and not just think about it, but to actually do it, to put it into practice in our daily lives, as difficult as that may be, as much as we may not want to do it, as much as it may smack against our tradition or even our heritage, if not properly understood. Help us, Father, to live in light of the commands of Scripture, to be submissive where you've called us to be submissive, and to stand where you have called us to stand and to do what you have called us to do. Father, we pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, We ask you, if it's your will, would you please send them back soon? Things seem to be falling apart in this world in which we live. And we'd love to spend eternity in your presence. And it would be great if that could start sometime soon. Nevertheless, Father, your will is what we always pray for. And if you should tarry, we ask that you would help us to live for you, to shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ brightly, effectively into the lives of others 
that your Holy Spirit might bring some to that relationship that you have ordained for them to be in with you as your children. Thank you, Father, for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.